Thank you, Miranda. That was great. That was awesome. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. We are in Jonah chapter 1. Okay, Jonah chapter 1. We're still there. And uh, actually, we'll be finishing up with chapter 1 today, right? Hallelujah. It took us three weeks to get through it. It's great, though. A good, uh, good text. And uh, I'm looking forward to going into chapter 2 next week. So Jonah chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 11 in just a few minutes if you want to take a minute to turn there in your Bibles. We are in a series uh, called God's Scandalous Grace, uh, learning from the book of Jonah. And uh, we've seen how God's grace just shows up throughout this book. And, and you know, one of the things we, we've talked about is the fact that several people, many times, many of us would think that this is a book. Oh yeah, Jonah, it's that book about that guy who ran away from God and got swallowed up by a whale, right? And actually it was a fish. That's just Jonah. That's what we, we know. That's Jonah. That's the story of Jonah. Well, as we, as we looked in Jonah uh, the, first, the first week, um, we saw God calling Jonah, his prophet, and calling him out to go to the Ninevites and to preach against them, and uh, that they would find mercy and grace from God. And so where God said, go, we saw Jonah said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. His, his heart began to rebel against him, and we talked about the dangers of rebellion. So Jonah said, no. And, and Jonah said, I just want to get away from God. I want to flee from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah went in the opposite direction, away from uh, Nineveh, where he would, would have to go. He went directly opposite, and he started to, to head down to Joppa. And when God said, get up and go, he, he went down to Joppa. And there was this, this use of these words, up and down, to show that where God wanted him to go was upward, and where he chose to, to go was downward. Uh, all the while, one of the cr- crazy things, amazing things, uh, is that Jonah likely wrote this, or someone close to Jonah likely wrote this, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and really looking at, at the person of Jonah after the story of Jonah, we look at the after effects of what happens, uh, I think that there's, there's really, you see a heart change in Jonah, and Jonah wanting to reveal, not just that he got eaten by a fish, but wanting to reveal the nature and character of his amazing, gracious God. So as we look at Jonah, we're, we're seeing the effects of God's scandalous grace because it's scandalous for Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites. They shouldn't be saved. How, how dare we let them in to God's family? And then as, as Jonah goes away, he goes down to Joppa. I mean, he purchases a ship or at least fare for the ship. And then it says he gets on the ship and goes down into the ship. Then he goes down deeper and he, he takes a nap, right? So this downward descent and spiral of rebellion occurs uh, in Jonah's life. And, and what's awesome about this is that although Jonah feels like he could flee from the presence of the Lord, that he can go to a place that God won't care about him, God won't know, God won't, God won't be seen there, and he can just have, have his, his life however he wants it, or even die in peace away from the conviction of God's Spirit, God, in his amazing, scandalous grace, pursues Jonah and follows him there. That God never leaves him, and he, he can go nowhere where he'll escape from God. And we saw last week that as, as God's grace was present on the ship and, and as God hurled a storm at the ship to, to wake, uh, wake him up, we saw that grace cried out. We saw that grace was screaming to Jonah and grace is screaming to us to, to know God and to follow in obedience as we trust and obey uh, what he's asked us to do. At the same time, we saw last week that as, as grace cries out, it exposes us and our sin. Remember last week we talked about Jonah uh, was down sleeping in the, in the underneath in the ship, and the captain says, "You need to come pray to your God. Maybe that your God is the one we need to pray to because ours isn't working." And it's, and and it doesn't indicate that he prayed at that point, by the way. And then 
Then they decided we need to cast lots. Let's just cast lots, roll the dice, and draw straws. Let's figure out who is to blame here. And, and in God's, we talked about how this is scandalous grace. God's scandalous grace and his will is produced through the casting of lots. And the lot fell on Jonah, right? He was totally exposed. In the middle of God's grace, we are totally exposed and open before him. And sometimes we like, and there's a difference here. Sometimes we like this grace that kind of is, is a, is a uh, normal grace. We'll call it normal grace. It's not, this isn't a biblical term. Normal grace, what you and I would, would observe is this. That, that I like to just, yes, I know God loves me. Yes, he's forgiven me. Yes, I probably should be doing something else. But just, just let me be. Leave me alone. Overlook it. Okay, that, that's normal grace. Like, okay, I feel okay. I, I can still kind of maybe pursue what I want and pursue God. But just kind of leave me, let me be. But God's scandalous grace is different. That when we try to flee from his presence and, and kind of live in regular grace, God's scandalous grace pursues us to the place where it is face to face with us. It doesn't let us go. It continues to pursue us. And as our stubborn heart continues to rebel, God's stubborn, scandalous grace persists and is relentless on us. And we are exposed before him. And when we're exposed before him, it brings us to this point of a crossroads, a place of decision. A time to say, yes, I'm going to continue to rebel, or no, I'm going to trust in faith what God has promised and, what God, and, and I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. So today we're looking at that crossroads. And for many of you here, you may be at that crossroads today. You may have been rebelling against and away from God. God's called you to do something. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want your family to look like. This is how I want your priorities to be set up. This is who you should be dating, or this is who you should not be dating. This is what you should be studying. This is not what you should be studying. Whatever it is, that God has called us to something. Maybe it's to go. Maybe you're supposed to move away. Maybe you're here and you're supposed to move here. I don't, I don't know. But whatever God's calling you to do, there's a crossroads there. And God's scandalous grace stands at the crossroads. Saying, I'm right here. Are you ready? Are you ready to accept? Are you ready to accept what I have for you? And when we're face to face with God, we have that opportunity that choice. And that today what we're going to see is what grace, that scandalous grace at the crossroads reveals in us and about God. Because as we look at this story, it is sure, certainly about the sailors and about Jonah, but more, more than that, is, it is about a gracious, loving, and merciful God whom we can know. This is a story about God. A God who gives hope, a God who gives peace, and a God who pursues us relentlessly. Amen. So that's where we're going to start today, all right? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for the crossroads that you, you put in our path. Thank you for the storms that you hurl at us, that you would get our attention through your scandalous, amazing grace. God, as we stand at the crossroads, as we stand before you and your grace, may you convince us of your truth. Convict us of sin, move us to a place of repentance and obedience. Challenge us and change us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. And we ask today that you would enlighten our hearts, that you'd open our minds and our hearts to be receptive to your word. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go through and look at what grace reveals. We're at the crossroads, and God's grace is right there in front of us. So what does grace reveal? Number one is this. It reveals the condition of our heart. Grace in our face reveals the condition of our heart. We're going to start in verse 10, but just think about verse, verse uh, we'll start in verse 10, we'll go into verse 11 for the text. 10 was last week, it said, then the men were even more afraid and said to them, what is this you have done? Right? Remember they had asked him a question like, like, who are you, where are you from, what's your job? 
because the lot fell on you. What, what's, and he said, I'm a worshiper of Yahweh, right? I fear the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who made everything, who made the dry, dry land that we're not on, and that, who made the sea that's bearing down on us now. That's my God. I, sir, I, I worship him. I fear him. And they became, became more afraid, it said. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. Like they're saying, what have you done? This is your God and you're running away from him? It seems like they may start, start to understand and know the character and nature of God more than Jonah remembers or recalls. Like these sailors are being a little more receptive to Yahweh God, the great I am, and the, and the, the power he has over creation. And actually he's using creation as an agent, right, as, as an agent of his grace. So these men, certainly, who are far from God and who earlier had prayed to their own gods, are, are aware of their own sin and rebellion, are aware of their own spiritual condition. We'll see that a little later as well as we go through the text. So, so what is this that you have done? They knew they had, uh, he had fle- fleed from the Lord's presence. And then verse 11 is where we pick it up. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this violent storm that is against you. you know, Jonah, Jonah gives the sailors a solution. The sailors know, like, the lot fell on you. What are we to do here? Something has to be resolved. Jonah, what's the solution here? What are we supposed to do now? You, you must know something here, and you must, you must need us to do something. So Jonah's solution, what, what, was, what was his solution? His solution was, you know what, Let, come on guys, let's get back to the oars, let's start rowing. We're going to set a course back to Joppa. I need to get back to land because I, I am so sorry of what I've done. I'm so sorry for running from God and causing this, this disaster. We're going to go back to Joppa straight away. And once we get there, once I get out of the boat, I am on land and I am heading straight to Nineveh because that is what God wants me to do. That's what Jonah said, right? No. But I, I guarantee you, if Jonah had had repentantly done that, the storm would have went whoosh, calm. They probably would have had a, a wind at their sail like never before because God wanted him to go in that direction. And he had went the opposite way and was fighting God the whole time. And God's like, no, you can't do that. You're not going there. Yeah, you might be able to try to get there, but I'm, my grace is going to be right there with you. And, and sometimes my grace is, is a storm I hurl at you. He wants us to turn, right? Return to him. Repent and return. We see in a minute that they do try to row back to shore, probably back to Joppa. It doesn't work because Jonah's heart is far from God. He said, what's the solution? What do we do? In the middle of the storm of God's grace, he essentially says, you know what? I refuse to repent and obey. In fact, I'd rather die than obey. You see, there was another solution. Death could be offered. He was, he was under the judgment of God in this, in this God's grace in this storm, and he could just say, you know what, I'm just, I know that God is after me. And in order to spare you, I'm just going to jump, over, ju- jump overboard and, and put, put an end to myself. I'm going I'm to die. And then I know God will relent this storm against you, and, and God will probably show himself to you and reveal himself more and bless your trip wherever you're going. But I will go overboard. I will sacrifice myself on your behalf. Jonah, Jonah looks, looks like he has a death wish this whole time anyway. But he didn't say that. See, that wasn't, an, that, that wasn't an option he chose. He could have chose to repent, pick up a paddle, and start going back to Joppa, calm sea. 
He could have chose to say, you know what, I'm going to save you. I still want to, want to die. I'm just going to jump overboard. But he didn't choose to jump overboard either, did he? What did he say? He said, you, will have, I, I'm not going to obey. In fact, I'd rather die. And, and I, I'd rather die, and, and I don't care about obedience. I don't even care about you. If I die, I die. And if you go with me, that's fine. But uh, if you want something to be done about it, toss me overboard. Otherwise, we're going down together with a ship. Pretty noble of him, isn't it? He was so hard-hearted that when he is exposed and reaches a dead end, what seems like a dead end, he would rather just die than trust and obey. And listen, God's spirit, God's grace as it's there, reveals the condition of our heart. What stubbornness or rebellion do you have right now? As you stand at the crossroads, as God's grace is with you face to face, as he's begging you and crying out to you to repent and return to a a restored relationship with him, what is keeping you from doing that? What are you willing to die over instead of repent of and be restored? Romans 2 Chapter 4 says this, says, do you despise the riches of his kindness? He's at the crossroads. He's standing there at the crossroads with his grace right before you. Do you despise the riches of his kindness and his restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness, his scandalous grace is intended to lead you to repentance? God is being patient with us. And while we think we're far from him and we've escaped him, he's right there pleading with you, saying, listen, I love you, I love you, I want you to be restored don't go that way. And you and I sometimes choose that. Instead of embracing the kindness of God through his scandalous grace that would lead us to repentance. God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. Max Lucado said that as a quote in one of his books. He says, God loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't intend to keep you that way. He wants to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. God loves you just where you are. God loves you in the crossroads of life. He's got you in his crosshairs with love, saying, I love you, but I don't want to leave you that way. And he'll show us through conviction and storms of life, whether ones that just come upon us or ones that he hurls at us, and he'll show us that through his people, and he'll show us that through his word. And you you and I can clearly see his grace. And either we will kill the sin in our lives or we will allow the sin in our lives to go on killing us and tearing us down and tearing us away from Jesus. You know, think of the ultimate goal here of God is to get an obedient prophet that will go to Nineveh so the Ninevites can hear. You know what? He doesn't need Jonah to do that. But he's asking him, he's pleading with him to obey and to partner with Almighty God and receive the blessing of that benefit of going and telling the Ninevites that you need a Savior. You need someone to rescue you. You and I have that same task, that same mission with God. But something could be preventing us from following through there. I think we need to ask ourselves, what what has my heart been calloused towards, or why is my heart calloused towards God? What needs to change? What else does grace reveal? Well, number two, it reveals that our own efforts are not sufficient. Our own efforts are not sufficient. I fall into this category all the time. I don't know about you. Oh, I can do it. I can work it out. I'll figure it out. I'll make the changes necessary and, and try to get ahead of the game. We think we can, we can do it on our own. Look, look at what the text says in here. Look at verse uh, 13. 
So he, he had told him, he said, you're going to have to throw me overboard. And they're like, well, and these are, nice, these are nice sailors. You think of these sailors like pirates, right? They have this big pirate ship and this skull and crossbones flag. They don't care about people. Yeah, I'll throw them overboard. These guys, no, no, no. No, they're not, they're not your standard kind of sailor you think of. These guys actually, who are created in the image of God, have a value and place a place of value on the sanctity of life. They say, no, we, we're not going to shed your blood. We're not going to kill you. Like, there's got to be another option. There's got to be another way here. Right? And that, so that's, a, that's a, a good thing to say about them. But later on, we'll see that there is a necessity for, uh, for a death. But, so what do they do? You need to throw me overboard. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not because the sea was raging against them more and more. What did they do? He says, you got to throw me overboard. Like, oh, I probably talked about it. I said, no, let's, let's just try. They got their oars. They placed them ready to go, and they, and they dug them in deep. They, it said, that's what it really meant here, this text. It said they rode harder. It means they, they put those paddles, those oars, down as far in the water as they could. They got a great bite on it, and they rowed as fervently as they could. They, the sweat must have been just rolling. Every ache and everything ached in their body as they rowed as hard as they could to get back to dry land. And it's likely that they did turn the ship back and go towards Joppa, probably the closest place of dry land. But it didn't matter because Jonah's heart was still stubborn. Jonah didn't grab an oar. Jonah probably grabbed a book, sat down. Anytime, God. I don't care when we die. And they rode hard. You know, the, the youth went on a, a wild adventure camp, right, this last week. And they went, uh, they went rafting on the Rogue River uh, a week ago, Monday. And, and I, being on that river before, you, I, you know something about digging in, right? Because as, as the staff, we're, we're kind of not the non-professional tour guides, right, of the river. We're the guides that are not professional. But we, we try our best to guide the boat and help the, help the kids get down the river safely. And it is so difficult, so difficult when you have these junior high boys who have no clue how to paddle. Right there, I'm serious. Like, you think, okay, I got some boys here. That they, got, they got some muscle. They're growing up. They're, they're going through the changes that they need to be, you know, their muscle. Let's go. And these, these little girls out paddle them. These little girls out paddle them. <laughs> I mean, we've, we're, we're bouncing like we're moving a boy to the right and a girl to the left because they just can't keep up, right? But there's something about it. There's two, two times in the river that you really tend to dig in, at least in my raft. You dig in when the rapids are big and strong, and, it's, and you don't want your boat to be flipped around and like, like spin around in the rapids. So you all get them going and say, okay, row, and we're rowing through the rapids. And it's fun. You're bouncing around, and all the water's splashing on you. They're hooting and hollering. But you make sure you're digging in. And as soon as we get out of the rapids, you just, okay, rest. We worked hard. We were able to achieve it. We got to the place where we could now rest. It was amazing, right? It's amazing rapids. And then, then there's another place on the river that you have to really dig in. It's the worst ever because it's, it's towards the end of the, end of the rafting. We've been rafting for hours already, trying to, trying to get these boys to do something. The staff, you know, you're using the paddle, using on one side, and your shoulder starts just aching, and your, your body's just hurting and crying. And you get to this place of just slow, slow current. And it's so slow that it feels like you're standing still. They're like, come on, just, just push the river, just push me down. Just please just go to the next place. And then a breeze shows up. You're like, oh, yay, it's pushing me back upstream. Because <laughs> the wind does that at the end. And, and in, the, in the most recent years, we haven't gone past the resort and gone down into the canyon where there is an even stronger breeze and even a longer stretch of this nothing, this lull. 
right? We have to even row it harder. But this place is like all the kids, you know, you're tired and you know it's just a couple of bends and we're going to be there. But we have to, we have to paddle through this. This 600-yard stretch right here, we have to dig in deep and just go. And you know, like, there's the spot. You see the, the, the place where the river breaks, and you know that at that point, the water's going to do the rest of the work, and you're going to be able to just rest and relax for a few. But it is, it is so burdensome to, finally, to, to do that, and then you finally get there. But these guys weren't, weren't going to produce anything by their paddles. They're, they were standing still, and they, they were rowing as hard as they could. They wouldn't go anywhere. It's like the Chinese finger trap. Have you seen those before? Right, you, you, you put it on like, oh, I'm going to play with this. This is cool. And if, if you don't know how to use it, you think you're a genius and you look like an idiot. Right? You, oh, yeah. Oh. oh. And, and you want to get out of it, so you, you're pulling your finger away from each other as hard as you can to try, to try to rip this thing apart or break it or get out of it. And what happens? Nothing. It gets tighter. You can't get out of it. See, all this effort we put into it, there's, and what you have to do is just stop and take a chill pill, right, and breathe and think about it and let it just go, go back together and, and let it kind of, Relax, and you just push it off your fingers and take it off. It's no big deal. But we think that huge effort has to be put in because we have to accomplish something. In order to accomplish something great, I have to use my effort to do it. In our text here, it said their effort did nothing. The storm raged even harder or more and more. It did not relent. See, until you really give up and humble yourself, until you really give up, you cannot receive the grace and strength from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this. It says, For you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. See, you're not going to be able to get to safe to shore and say, I did it. I got safe to shore. If you get safe to shore, you're going to be, thank God that I'm safe at last. See, it's not about boasting of what we can do. We are so insufficient on our own. Our efforts are insufficient on our own. And grace tells us that. God's way of salvation is way better. It cannot be earned or deserved through self-effort, but it can be received freely as a gift when we believe through faith that God is our only hope, that he is our rescue. His scandalous grace reveals that apart from him, we can have and do nothing. Amen? And that's a great place to be in. God, without you, I am, I am nothing. So more of you, more of you. And guess what? His scandalous grace stands at the crossroads ready. It stands at the crossroads ready for us to, to believe and receive. Next, as, as grace stands at the crossroads, it reveals that someone must die. That sin must be paid for. Look at verses 14 through 15. So they called out to the Lord. Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done as you have pleased. See, they, they bowed to him. They said, you know what? We're, okay, we get it. We can't do it on our own. We get it. We need to throw him overboard. Don't charge us with his blood. We know that his, his sacrifice over the edge is the, is the solution. It's the rescue. And they're praying, they're praying not to their own gods anymore. Who are they praying to? They're praying to the great I am. They're praying to Yahweh as he has been revealed through the witness of Jonah. Even, even begrudgingly or like, like kind of in a gruff sense, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I worship Yahweh. He created all this and I'm to blame here. They turned their focus and said, whoa, you, your God is this God? Okay, I, we need to know this God. We need, we need to humble ourselves before this God. 
So it goes on into verse 15. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The sea stopped its raging. The storm is all about God dealing with Jonah for his sin, for his rebellion. It's about him presenting himself before Jonah in his grace and saying, listen, Jonah, listen up, wake up, I'm right here. What you're leading to is death. Where I want you to go is in obedience and life. And I want others to have life. And although Jonah is willing to acknowledge his sin, he's not willing to relent from his rebellion against God. And we see nothing that he is deciding to return or to carry out the mission that God has given him. You see, God stands at that crossroads and says, you can pay or I'll pay. And, and there's, there's two forms here. If you and I are a child of God, if we have believed the gospel and received Christ as Savior, if he saved us, he's doing a work inside of us. But as you and I live in this world and amongst the, the world, there's temptations that will draw us into, into rebellion or into, into sin in our life. None of us are immune to that. And those things will lead to despair. They will lead to depression. They will lead to loneliness. They will lead to maybe even death. And this is the road that Jonah is on. For others who stand at the crossroads and aren't children of God, God's scandalous grace cries out to you and says, be saved. I want to change everything that you ever thought was true, and I want to, I want to show you what really is true in the promised Messiah, my son Jesus. And see, the gospel is so relevant and so true at that crossroads that you and I have that opportunity then to believe and be saved from an eternity that would be spent away from him if we chose the other road. If you're here today and you're at that crossroads, I implore you, I beg you, and God's grace begs you to believe that he is your rescue, that he is your substitute, that he is your only hope. If you've already put your hope and trust in him and you're at that crossroads of rebellion, stop going to a place where you're dragging him through the mud. Stop going to a place where your witness of him is tarnished and God's glory can't be seen in and through your life and people don't get to know Jesus because of you. You're missing out on the blessing. You're missing out on the ability and the opportunity to partner with God Almighty as he goes about his business of saving whom he'll save. The storm is about God dealing with Jonah and his sin. And the road that Jonah is traveling does not look good. In fact, Jonah has given up and said, I just would rather die than obey. But on the contrary, the sailors seem to understand and fear the Lord even more now. They see, like, we see who you are. We see what you've done. Our crossroads, we're choosing grace. We, we know that there's an atonement here, that someone's got to pay the penalty. And Jonah is the one that's saying, I guess it'll be me. So God's wrath and God's judgment is poured out on Jonah as they turtle him overboard. And guess what he becomes? He becomes the scapegoat who takes the penalty instead of the sailors. And what does God do? God rescues the sailors. God saves the sailors. Not just from a death. I would believe and I would argue from Scripture that this was a true conversion story. That these sailors, through the witness of Jonah and the rebellion of Jonah, but moreover, through the grace of of God come to know the true God for who he really is. And they put their hope in him. The scapegoat of God's judgment is the promised Messiah. They knew that. That's what, that's what Jonah would prophesy. 
while the scapegoat of God's judgment in the storm is Jonah. If Jonah doesn't want to repent and return, he must die. The only hope for the sailors was to allow Jonah to die so that they might be saved. And the mercy and grace of the one true God that they have come to know, they have found hope in him now. They've received the grace. They have found hope and peace in him. So what happens? They toss him overboard. Jonah chapter 1, verse 16, grace, grace continues to be revealed. And what it reveals is that salvation has a transforming effect. And here, here's more proof of more evidence of why I think there's a real conversion story here. Look at, look at verse 16. They hurled him over. They said, God, we trust you. This is what you want us to do. Fine, we're going to do it. In verse 16, the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But at some, in some form, the fear of the Lord in this way is a humble submission to him as Lord. Fearing the Lord in humility is a humble submission to him as Lord, and offering a sacrifice and making vows is an act of reverent, covenantial worship. That only comes from a changed heart, focused on Yahweh and humility. These men responded to the witnesses, to the witness, I'm sorry, offered by Jonah. As, as gruff as it was, I said earlier, as small as it was, as inconsiderate as it was, they heard the testimony of Jonah, and God used it through his grace to draw them into a relationship with him. And it's seen in their covenant with him. They laid down their false gods, and they worshiped the one true God. You see, God's grace reveals that, that his salvation changes us. It changes everything, and it has a transforming effect. That we, when we encounter God Almighty in a real way, we cannot leave unchanged. Amen? Number five, the final, final point today is this. Uh, God's grace reveals that God, it's on the notes, I didn't type it right. God's grace reveals there is no escape from God's sovereignty. There is no escape from God's sovereignty. It's amazing that God continues to pursue Jonah. You know, we think the story is over. And it kind of rightly should be. Jonah is hoping the story is over, right? Jonah's like, I'm done. Just toss me over and let's get this done with. The sea will stop doing its thing. You'll be safe. I'll be dead. Game over. So Jonah gets tossed over and the sailors are safe and Jonah's going to end up a dead man and we think the story is over, but it is not. But God, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. <laughs> oh, man, he just can't catch a break, can he? He's like, I, I just want to die. I want to be done with this. You think that's what Jonah wanted, but God showed up. And, and really what verse 17 is, is an answer to the sailor's prayer first. It, it, the way it's set up in the structure of the, of the sentences here in the, in the passage, it's set up as it shows itself as an answer to the prayer of these sailors who prayed, God, don't, don't hold his blood against us. Re yes, we want rescue. We're going to do this because this is obviously what needs to happen. But please don't, don't let, let us be held in account, accountable for this. And the, he answers that. He says, God basically answers, says, don't worry. I, I won't let him die. I'm not quite done with Jonah yet. God says, I'm not quite done with Jonah. And Jonah's prayer was, God, I just want to die. I just, just end it right now. And God answers Jonah. 
He says, you went down, when I said get up and go, you went down to Joppa. You, went, you got a ship and you went down to the ship and you went down into the ship and sailed away from me. And I, my grace continued to pursue you and you just wanted to die. When I threw that storm at you, you just wanted to die. So you want to die? Well, I will show you what you're in for. I will teach you a lesson. And maybe my ship, maybe the ride that I'm going to provide for you will help motivate you back into obedience. You know, we think that we have reached the bottom of the pit. We think we're in the bottom of despair in our lives. And God says, no, I still want you to repent and return to me. And our rebellion continues to push us deeper, doesn't it? We go further and further away from God, further and further away from his word, further and further away from fellowship and accountability, further and further away. And we go deeper into the mire. God says, I'll show you what you're in for. Check out my ship I have for you. You want to go down into a ship? Here's one I got for you. And he was swallowed up by a, a, a large fish. And, and listen, I don't, people want to argue about this. They want, oh, that's not possible. There's no fish in, that's known in existence that could do that. Well, you know, there's stories and there's thoughts and, and there's, maybe a whale could have done it, maybe not. Uh, there was a story of actually a sailor, sailor who, who was eaten by a huge whale and when they, they killed the whale, they, they got it on board, took the blubber and cut it open and they cut up the, open the stomach. The dude was still alive inside. Okay, this is a true story. It was a one-day thing, not three-day. But, but it, scientific facts or not, this is not about the science of a fish. This is about God Almighty using whatever is in his creation as an agent to serve as, for his grace. Usually that means miraculous things, doesn't it? Miraculous things. They were rowing the boat and it went nowhere. That's kind of a miracle. That's not scientific either. God's miraculous grace is there. So he provided this ship. He said, come on, come on, come on to my ride. You can, you can get in the belly of my ship and take a nap there. And we're going to go deeper than you thought you could go. And we'll spend some time in this mire and this stomach acid and let, it, let you think about this a little bit and see if this is really where you want to go. And really, when going into the depth, what God said is, is this is where you're going. This is, this is the depth of, of your separation. This is the depth of your judgment. You have decided to rebel against me, and it won't end well for you. Do you really want this? And it's amazing to see how God's grace shows up, isn't it? Because he could have just died and been done. But God's grace is what saved his life. God's grace said, let's just think about this one more time. How far do you and I have to get in the belly of the whale or the belly of the fish before we learn our lesson? Before we're motivated to return to God and say, you know what, I want to obey. I want to love you. I want to serve you. And let your scandalous grace wash over me and, and around to the people around me. God's scandalous grace and his sovereignty should motivate us towards obedience. Knowing that he is sovereign. We're not going to outrun God. We're not going to hide from God. You might find yourself, or I might find myself at times, in the jaws of God's sovereignty. The jaws of God's judgment. And what he wants from us in those times is to rethink where we're heading. Rethink what we're choosing. Because he is determined to not let you escape. And he is determined to be the rescue, not only for us, but for those in the world that will hear the message of Christ.
Will you be rebellious? Or will you and I choose to be obedient? Say, God, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to abide in your will. That's the application for today. That's the prayer for today. Would you stand and join me in prayer? Father, we are so thankful that you are a great, gracious God. God, we, we tend to think that of the crossroads of life that we find ourselves in, that you're, you may be far from that, or you may be watching from afar as we try to, to struggle to choose what to do. God, help us to see that your scandalous grace, your, your amazing grace, is standing right there in our face, helping us and ready to, to just lavish us unrelentingly with direction and guidance, with peace and with hope, if we would believe and trust and obey. God, we don't want to we want to rebel. We want our lives to be a testimony of the power of God so that people would know there is a Savior who can rescue them. There is a hope to be had in the middle of despair. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we close in this last song, it's our, our opportunity to worship, just to celebrate the Lord and who he is and, and, and just sing it out that his grace is enough. His grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for me. If you need prayer, if you'd like to have someone pray for you, I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to pray where you're at. Whatever it is, just, just respond to God from your heart. God's grace standing before you has revealed the condition of your heart. Now you and I are to respond to that grace. All right, let's sing. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people. Remember your children remember your promise oh god your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me great is your love and justice god you use the weak to lead the strong you lead us in the song of your salvation and all your people sing along so remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough.
grace is enough, amen? Just keep, keep relishing in that grace. And, and listen, sometimes it feels tough when that grace is unrelenting. It's like a storm, but just lean into it. Humble ourselves, give up, and let God bring you back into that relationship with him that he's intended from the beginning. It's an amazing, amazing thing. We're going to have a good time with the potluck if you're sticking around. If you would be seated for just a minute, I appreciate that. I'm going to ask Hoyt to come up. The Pastor Church Committee has uh, their update they'd like to share. And then uh, we'll go find a seat in the fellowship hall or outside in the courtyard, and we'll start having our potluck after that. Good morning. Thank you, everyone, for being here. We're, uh, I think we're, no, we're almost all here. We're missing a couple, a couple of people this week. But uh, anyway, um, we're glad to be here. We're glad to be able to share some information with you today. And um, so we'll get started with that. The last time that we spoke with you, we informed you that we were taking a more focused look at Brandon Turk, and we have done so. We have met with and interviewed Brandon multiple times. Uh, we have continued to spend a lot of time in prayer and in the word and considering everything before us. So after all of that, um, the Pastor Search Committee is pleased to tell you that uh, we have come to the United Decision to bring before the church a recommendation that Brandon Turk be considered in view of a call to be the senior pastor at FBC. We, uh, we have said several times over this past year that there would come a time when the committee would make a recommendation, uh, and then the responsibility would shift to you, the church. Well, that time has come. Remember, this is the committee's recommendation. The church membership still has to pray and consider and vote before this recommendation becomes anything but a recommendation. So in keeping with our goal of giving you time to ask questions and uh, to consider all of the information, we've come up with a plan and a timeline um, to make that happen. When you leave today, um, out at the kiosk, you'll find uh, my daughter Miranda's out there and she'll hand you a yellow packet that looks similar to this, okay? Well, actually identical to this, not just similar. Uh, <laughs> So you go out there and you can pick up that packet. It gives you the dates and times for question and answer meetings that we'll have, as well as the date when a vote will take place. Um, the first question and answer meeting will actually be this next Sunday evening, the 30th, uh, at 6 o'clock here at the church. Uh, having this packet will hopefully answer some of your questions ahead of time. We would ask that all church members who are able would come to the information meetings to participate in the question and answer time. Come with your questions ready to go. We will do our very best to answer your questions. Uh, the first half of these meetings will be an opportunity for you to ask questions of the committee without having Brandon here. Um, and then Brandon has made himself available towards the end of those meetings to be able to come down and be here if you have questions that you wanted to ask directly of Brandon as well. Um, if you are going to be gone and want a question asked, please feel free to find someone that you know and uh, have them give them your question and have them come and ask it for you. Uh, if you know of a church member who will be out of town or who cannot attend, um, let them know that they can submit questions through a friend as well. Or they can contact someone on the committee and ask, uh, ask it also. The packet that you'll get on your way out will have a cover sheet on it that looks like that. It has all those dates on there, the very important dates uh, and times. Um, 
And please remember that the voting meeting is separate from the question and answer meetings. We won't have a question and answer meeting followed by saying, okay, now go ahead and vote. Um, you'll have time. We want to give time between those meetings and an actual voting meeting because we want you all to be in prayer about that decision. Um, so in that packet, you'll find information from the finance committee about um, what uh, financial or compensation package would be offered. You'll find Brandon's resume. Uh, you'll find the senior pastor job description. And you will find a church covenant. And all of these things will also be explained further at the question and answer meetings. So now please take the time to prayerfully consider this, prayerfully consider all of the information that you'll receive in the packet. Um, a letter will follow the information meetings that will go out to all members um, regarding the voting meeting and any provisions uh, or instructions for absentee voting. Um, so what we want you to do is continue to join the Pastor Search Committee in prayer, and we are pleased to be able to come before you today and say that this is the recommendation of the committee, is that Brandon Turk be considered for um, senior pastor at FBC. So please continue to pray with us, and I hope you guys will go today and enjoy the potluck and time of fellowship together. Please don't forget to get your yellow packet on the way out, and uh, we'll see you out at the potluck. Let's pray together. Father, we just are so grateful to be able to be here and uh, bring this news to the, to the body. We, we know, Lord, that this is not over with. We know that we still have time. We need to pray, Lord. We need to seriously consider all this information. We need to know... Lord, what your will is, that's what's most important. I pray you would convict each heart here of what your will is, and God, that uh, we would be united. God, we've been praying for unity this whole time, and you've, you've given that to the Pastor Search Committee, Lord. We just pray you continue to give that to this whole church of the body. Lord, as we consider all these things, uh, I pray, Lord, for our hearts and minds to have attitudes of unity, Lord, that we would be together um, I pray, God, that we would all have the opportunity to have all of our questions answered. Um, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, that makes it possible for us to gather together in this common goal, Lord, of serving you and proclaiming your, your glory to the world. Thank you, God, for this church family. What a great family it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.